listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host. My name is Mike Gaston, and this is episode number 100, 100 of The Currency. Glad to have you along. Excited to be behind the microphone. We're going to talk about the new governor of New York State today, kids. This one's a good one. This one's a good one. I'm pretty excited about it. I've been wanting to get at this topic for a few days. I had an insight while I was listening to Governor Hochul. This is Kathleen Hochul, who took over for uh, good old Andrew Cuomo. Andrew, the handsy pansy guy. <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not happy enough, am I, about his demise. Uh, you, you know, I know you're not supposed to like rejoice like that, and, but like this guy brought it on himself. Come on. Look, I got no, I have no dog in this fight. I've got no feeling about uh, the, the the previous governor and how he handled things. I don't have an opinion, but let me tell you something about this schmuck. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, uh, if you don't know, if you've been living under a rock for the last uh, few months, Andrew Cuomo, governor, former governor of New York, uh, ruled the state with an iron fist. He was a bully and a thug. And, and, and yeah, and, and I've got some opinions about this, but the guy really was a bully and a thug. He was a bully and a thug, not only to the citizens and the, the, the residents of New York State, but he was a bully and a thug to the people in his own party. He's a Democrat and he's pretty leftist. I mean, he's he's come out with stuff like, you know, when they were doing gay marriage, hey, if you don't agree with this, if you're conservative, uh, we're going forward. If you don't like it, we don't want people like you in this state. Like, you know, he never he never missed a chance to beat down somebody that didn't agree with him. And, you know, and this is classic. I mean, I understand that politics is a blood sport, but this guy's just a thug. It's like, look, you're governing the whole state. Show a little respect to the people who are actually paying the bills around here, kiddo. Anyway, so he got himself in trouble, not only for being... Uh, inappropriate towards women underneath him. And and yeah, that's a double entendre, I guess. But he took advantage of his position. He was a little handsy. He claims, hey, me, I'm just Italian. You know, I like to hug and kiss everybody. A little grab with a buttocks. It's just a family thing. I don't know. That was his shtick. The fact of the matter is he took advantage and a lot of women came forward and said, yeah, it was not good. Now, What's really interesting is that's the least of Andrew Cuomo's sins. Andrew Cuomo is probably going to have to answer, uh, if not in this life and another one, if he doesn't humble himself and ask for forgiveness, he's going to have to answer for the deaths of thousands of seniors, New York State seniors, people that were exposed to COVID-19 because of his arrogant and, and dictatorial and, and thug-like policy. And the specific policy that he insisted upon and refuses this day to admit to or to take responsibility for or to be even a little bit humble about is that if somebody in a hospital, a senior person in a hospital has COVID-19 and now they're going to be, they're going to push them, not going to keep them in the hospital. Oh my gosh, we're overwhelmed. We need ventilators. We need everything. We, you know, we got ships, we got football fields. We're ready. It's the apocalypse. It's New York. You should care. All right, so then he's pushing everybody that's senior out of the hospitals. We're not going to keep you here. We're going to send you to a nursing home. But the thing about it is the nursing homes have no right to say we're not accepting anybody. A lot of nursing homes wanted to batten down the hatches. They did not have COVID in their facilities. And so to protect their elderly population, their residents, the people that they care for, they wanted to batten down the hatches and say, we're not letting buddy, anybody in. We want to ride the storm out and do everything we can to keep the people that have been entrusted to us safe. 
They have loved ones, families. They have sons and daughters and grandchildren and, and cousins and siblings and even spouses that have said, please care for my loved one. I can't care for them yet. We'll do it. And they want to batten down the hatches and keep everybody out. And Andrew Cuomo directly, this wasn't like somebody five, you know, offices removed from him made. No, this was from Andrew Cuomo specifically. And his executive team said, no, you have to take somebody in. You cannot discriminate based on COVID-19. You can't say no. If, if someone's being pushed to your nursing home and they have the COVID, you got to take them. Well, what do you think is going to happen? This, this COVID was so virulent. It was so easy to catch. And, and the only real population, there are two populations extremely at risk of succumbing to this, not just catching it, but succumbing to it. And that is the, the elderly. If you're elderly and you get COVID, your chances are pretty good that it's going to be a rough ride and it may not end uh, well for you. You may die. The second group at risk is are people still with comorbidities. If you're morbidly obese, you've got cancer, you've got, you know, list off all the things that people have and you get the COVIDs, well, you're going to be in rough shape and it might not end well for you. So the very group that's the most vulnerable, because when you're in a nursing home, not only are you elderly, but you have other comorbidities. Often you have kidney problems. Often you have heart issues. You know, you're, you're not functioning well enough to be left on your own. You need nursing care. That's why it's a nursing home. And you don't go there just because you get the flu. You're already in need of nursing care. This is a person who is double jeopardy vulnerable. They're elderly and they have comorbid comorbidities. And now you're going to say, no, you got you to gotta take these people in. And so, of course, thousands of people died because of this that didn't have to. Now you could say, hey, these people are going to die anyway. Yeah, we're all going to die at some point. Understood. I got that. But that policy was was ill thought at best and and wicked at worst. And, you know, he remains unrepentant. And, and why, why would he? You know, nobody ever admits they're wrongdoing anymore. And I don't mean wrongdoing like, hey, send me to jail. Just like, hey, you know, it'd be no big deal to stand up at early on and I'll say, hey, you know what? We revised our policies. We made the best policy we could given the circumstances. We didn't have a lot of information. Other states made the same decision, mass, um, Michigan, Pennsylvania, so on. We did the best that we could. Uh, but as soon as we started understanding what was going on, we changed that and we course corrected. It's regrettable. But you know what? We've got great nursing homes. We've got great uh, you know, administrators. And we work together with the nursing homes to make this work. And, and I know from the inside, because I have clients in the nursing home and senior care space, they did not work with them. They, they'd sit there on a Friday night and throw out a new edict that would completely transform their business. They just throw it at them and say it's going to go into effect Monday morning. And then the nursing homes never had a heads up, never had a chance to prepare for this kind of stuff. And, and then they're left scrambling. So the state would just like throw a grenade in the middle of the room on a quasi-regular basis. And it was just a bit of heartache. So Governor Cuomo, that was the big, that, that's the big sin. He's out now. He wasn't out for that. He was out for being a little gropey, little handsy, handsy pansy Andy. And uh, now you got Kathleen Hochul. Now Kathleen was his lieutenant governor. And everyone's like, well, who's this Kathleen Hochul? Well, I don't know. She's governor of New York State, kids. She's the new, new chief. 
And that's the thing about her. She's from the Buffalo area, Western New York. You look at her career. She studied law. She did a little bit of legal uh, as an attorney, a little bit of legal work, said, nah, didn't really like it, got into politics. She won a race or two. She lost a race or two. There's nothing about her that was outstanding. There wasn't anything about her where you go, wow, this woman's sharp. This is a crackerjack, this kid. She's up and coming. Uh, you know, I don't think there was anything wrong with her either. In fact, there were a couple of times where she took principled stands, even against her own party. Uh, you know, she's a Democrat, but she was fighting for small businesses, you know, Democrat trying to knock out some regulations that were in the way for people from her area. So, I mean, you know, she's city council and I think she was even in the United States Congress for a little while, not a senator, but she was a Congress uh, person, Congresswoman. Uh, a Congress chest feeding person. I'm not sure what the proper pronoun is, but anyway, um, that's Kathy Hochul. N nothing that stands out to say, wow, this person's a crackerjack. And I think that's probably what Andrew Cuomo looks for. He looks for somebody that isn't going to get the limelight. And the thing about him, and I, and I kind of alluded to, he was a bully and he was a thug to his own party members. So I think when they smell a little bit of blood in the water, because he was the darling there was talk that maybe he would run for president against Trump as opposed to uh, sleepy Joe Biden. And it didn't work out. I don't I don't know why. Uh, but he was the darling for a while where they needed someone to compare and contrast, you know, great leadership from the Democrats versus terrible leadership from Trump. And, the, and you know, Cuomo became that poster child for that kind of leadership while the Democrats went through the nomination process. He never threw his hat in the ring and, and, and the rest is history. We got, we got, uh, we got old, old Joe, uh, Chai Com Joe. So anyway, again, I have no opinion or feeling about the current president. <laughs> I'm not taking sides here. This is the currency kids. We don't take sides. <laughs> it's just pure fact, no opinion uh, or tripling your money back. All right. So Kathy Hochul goes down to Brooklyn and she gives a talk at this church. And it's really interesting because this church is called the, let me just bring it up here. Uh, this is the Christian Cultural Center. It looks like it's a church that's primarily, uh, you know, like the congregation looks mainly like people of color. A lot of black folks, black and brown folks, uh, odd white face here and there. Uh, and, and it's an interesting thing. I'm going to read a few things from from their website. Now, I want to just bring up real quick before we get into this now, something that Kathy Hochul said. So she spoke at this church. I'm going to play the audio for you, but there's some things that she said that kind of made the news and maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you haven't. And it's kind of laughable. People roll their eyes and it's like, these folks, are, this lady's crazy. You know, like this is how wackadoo the vaccine people are. But there's something deeper going on that I want to draw out for you. And I think I think when we're done talking about this, you're going to have a perspective on this that's a little different, but it's but it's but it's important. It's not just a tweak. There's something else going on that I that I think people are missing. I haven't heard anybody talk about this, and I want to lay it out for you because I think this is important for us to grasp. And I think it's important for you to look for as you go forward and as you engage other people and talk about it. But this uh, CCC, as they call themselves the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn, New York, they say, hey, we're all about dynamic orthodoxy. And start right out with an oxymoron. They say, we're a fusion of cathedral, a touch of Smithsonian, and college campus. In other words, the integration of the sacred, the institutional, and the intellectual to create a dynamic worship and spiritual growth experience. 
So what they're claiming, and if you read through a lot of their stuff, and I just want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about, well, what is this place that, you know, what's this church that she's preaching at, is she speaking at? This is, this is primarily a church uh, uh, populated with people of color. I'm sure it's open to anybody, but this is, this is, a, this is a kind of a mega church, but it's a black folks mega church. You see a lot of mega churches out in the suburbs and whatever. And it's a bunch of white people and their tan slacks with their mocha latte. And, you know, they're just, they're, they're Jesus is my homeboy kind of, you know, they're just having a great time. This is more of an inner city Brooklyn uh, people of color, but it's a mega church. They got multiple campuses uh, and they broadcast all over. It's kind of a big deal. When they talk about a fusion of cathedral, Smithsonian and college campus, what they're really saying is, that, that they are an integration of the sacred, meaning the church experience, the institutional and the intellectual. They're saying, look, this isn't just a church. We're fusing the beliefs and, and the orthodoxy. They claim the orthodoxy. Now, I'm, I'm going to question that, what they mean by orthodoxy. I think when they talk about orthodoxy, I think they're referring to more the liturgical approach. I don't think that they're talking about orthodoxy of doctrine or orthodoxy of theology. Because if they were to be truly orthodox, they would be lifting up Jesus Christ as king. Everything that they do, their liturgy, their preaching, their music, their guests, everything that they do would be focused on Christ. Now, I go through their website. I'm not seeing the name of Christ a whole lot anywhere. But they do talk about culture. They do talk about intellectual. They do talk about institutional. And when they talk about institution, they're talking about Smithsonian. I think they're talking about integrating things like we're trying to give you some almost, they've even got these like museum displays of cultural artifacts and biblical artifacts. And I think they're talking about other institutions. Now, when I talk about institutions, you've heard me talk about them before. I'm talking about typically the mediating institutions of a society, the the institutions that make space for human beings to live and to, and to experience life and, and to be who they are. This would be things like the family. Family creates space, a safe place for people to grow and thrive. Neighborhoods are a mediating institution. Church or synagogue, mediating institutions and so on. I think that these guys are talking more about the institutional aspects of mass society. You know, the Smithsonian is this big government institutional museum. It's a fantastic resource for a society, but this is not a mediating institution. This is a government institution. Now, I don't want to read too deeply in that yet. I don't want to get too far into that. But this church is is all about kind of hybridizing the faith, you know, the church experience with institutionalism and intellectualism. And you could do that in a good way. I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad. Uh, but he, but, but the way that you approach that, you know, there's the what and the how. It's like, this is what they're doing. The big question is, well, how are they doing that? You know, on the face of it, you go, well, this sounds in, innocuous. I mean, it doesn't sound like a big deal. But if they're, if they're not focusing and lifting up Christ, then you got to question, it, you know, as a church, like, what's this all about? What are you really all about? What is it that you're lifting up? You're calling yourself Christians. You're calling yourself by his name, Christians, little Christs. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, in your website, I'm seeing flashing images of the New York Times and the New York Stock Exchange and the World Trade Center, all this kind of stuff. So I'm wondering, like, how much of this is about Christ and how much of this is about the institutions of our society? 
not the mediating institutions. Okay, so this is the church that she's talking at. I know I'm going a little long here. What I want to do now is play for you the Reverend Governor Hochul. I don't believe she's a reverend. But I want to play Governor Hochul's uh, little shtick for you. It's just about a two-minute clip. It's a little long, but let me play it for you, and then I want to break it down, kids. We have to get this community back and what we went through this pandemic made us stronger. I believe that, especially as I talk to young people who weren't able to have their graduations from high school or a normal life for the last 18 months. I say to them, whatever comes your way in life, you are stronger, you are more resilient. God let you survive this pandemic because he wants you to do great things someday. He lets you live through this when so many other people did not. And that is also your responsibility. But how do we keep more people alive? We are not through this pandemic. I wished we were, but I prayed a lot to God during this time. And you know what? God did answer our prayers. He made the smartest men and women, the scientists, the doctors, the researchers, he made them come up with a vaccine. That is from God to us. And we must say, thank you, God. Thank you. And I wear my vaccinated necklace all the time to say, I'm vaccinated. All of you, yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones, but you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know this. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. I need you to go out and talk about it and say, we owe this to each other. We love each other. Jesus taught us to love one another. And how do you show that love but to care about each other enough to say, Please get vaccinated because I love you. I want you to live. I want our kids to be safe when they're in schools. I want you to be safe when you go to a doctor's office or to a hospital and are treated by somebody. You don't want to get the virus from them. You're already sick or you wouldn't be there. We have to solve this, my friends. I need every one of you. I need you to let them know that this is how we can get, fight, fight this pandemic, come back to normal, and then start talking about the real issues that we have to fighting systemic racial injustice, which exists today. And if there's a denier, I will take you on any day because I've seen it. I know it exists. And we are not going to have a blind eye to this ever again any longer under my watch. And that is my commitment to you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's so much there. So I don't know if you heard this. I mean, this is the piece that was going around the Internet for the last handful of days. Uh, Governor Hochul, you know, doing this... Um, doing this bit here in this church and there's so much there. So a lot of people immediately kind of jumped on the whole thing about, well, God wants you to get the vaccine. It's God's will. And, and, you know, fair enough. I mean, that is kind of a questionable, uh, questionable concept. I mean, how does she know what God wants? How does Governor Hochul know this? There's some interesting things in there, though. We want to unpack it because I think there's something deeper going on. I think there's a reason that she can say with confidence that this is God's will. Now, I don't agree necessarily that this is God's will. And there's so much in there that, that she's got wrong. It's, it's breathtaking to me. Now, it comes off as kind of comedic almost. You listen to this and you think this woman's nuts. I mean, she's nuts. Now, if you're a lefty, you might hear this and go, this is great. But I think a lot of lefties are so used to not even referring to God anymore. I think so many people on the left are used to being Godless. They are used to being unholy. And when you hear the word holy, a lot of people don't know what it means. Holy means set apart. 
when someone says that, that you know, uh, you're holy, that means that you're set apart to God. You're, to be a holy person is, is that you're setting yourself apart. You're not participating in the things that are impure or, or unholy. You're not wanting to be part of something that would displease God. So you're trying to live a holy life. So when you talk about the left, they tend to be unholy, meaning they've kind of committed themselves to not being set apart to God. So this is the unholy left. And I think the left is typically proud of this. So I think the first thing that is kind of noteworthy or remarkable about Governor Hochul's talk is that not only is she speaking in a church, I think even the left right now, you know, Joe Biden and, and uh, Nancy Pelosi, you know, they, my Catholic faith tradition and my Catholic faith tradition teaches me this. And, you know, they'll talk about their faith tradition. They'll talk a little bit about being Catholic. but And, and I think they're not beyond showing up at some large church somewhere. Not that I know of them doing this recently, but I don't think Democrats are unwilling to speak at a church. But if they do it, they're not going to invoke God like Governor Hochul did. I think it's remarkable that she invoked God. And I think in this invocation of the name of the Holy of Holies, uh, and she didn't really use his name. She said God. She didn't say Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, but, but invoking God, I think that she has kind of betrayed something remarkable here. We'll get to that. But I think someone like a Biden or anybody, you know, on the left, for the most part, would, unless it was like, uh, who's this uh, Muslim Marxist agitator, uh, congresswoman, part of the squad, Ilmar Ohan, uh, Ilhan Omar. <laughs> I think that she maybe wouldn't show up in a church just because she's pretty outwardly hostile to Christianity, anything that's, you know, Western, white. But for most of these folks that show up now, they wouldn't necessarily talk about God. They'd probably talk about how we need to feed the poor and we have to be more loving and we have to be more tolerant and more accepting. And this is what our faith teaches us, not what Christ teaches us, not what God teaches us, what our faith teaches us. Hoko got up there and started laying down the Lord. And she's like, hey, this is what God wants. And you guys listen to God, but there are people out there that are not doing his will. She even threw out the word apostles. And so I want to break this down a little bit because I think this is a very interesting little two-minute clip. Now, she starts out, and we can, we can kind of play this over again. And, and I got to, you know, I'll just say now, I, you know, just doing this kind of clip thing, this is new for me. So I'm trying to work all the controls. I don't have a Mr. Snurdly as Rush Limbaugh did, which was really Rush doing it all himself. I don't have a Mr. Snurdly in the control room engineering everything. So, so be, you know, be patient with me. But I'm just going to kind of talk over some of this as we as we and stop it as we listen. Uh, let's let's take a let's take a gander. We have to get this community back, and what we went through this pandemic made us stronger. I believe that, especially as I talk to young people who weren't able to have their graduations from high school or a normal life for the last 18 months. I say to them, whatever comes your way in life. You are stronger. You are more resilient. God let you survive this pandemic because he wants you to do great things someday. He you know, I'll just, I'll just get in there. What's interesting about that is, first of all, we knew early on that young people were not at risk. Uh, we've, we still know that, but now we're pretending we don't know that. We're pretending all these variants are going to kill everybody. 
I think we could have probably kept these kids going. That's beside the point. I'm not going to argue that, oh, they should have kept the schools open or closed, whatever. Okay, fine. What's interesting about what she just said is this idea that you're stronger having gone through this. The fact is, uh, most of these kids are weaker. They've taken a beating. I mean, the, the health, the mental health, uh, they're behind in their schoolwork. Uh, they've not socialized. I mean, go through all the lists. You know, they've been they've been hiding behind masks. They, they've been sitting online all the freaking time. You guys, the government, you won't let them go outside and play. You wouldn't. They couldn't socialize with other kids. They couldn't get fresh air. They couldn't participate in sporting activities. I would argue that these kids are not stronger. I would argue that people that got COVID and survived it are stronger because they faced down this arduous, difficult thing. And now their bodies are stronger. I don't know where their mental cap capacity or emotional capacity, but their bodies are stronger and more resistant or resilient. But I think the way that the totalitarian, totalitarian state has handled this by locking everything down and allowing nothing and creating a bit of, uh, of, uh, mass hysteria, quite frankly, and especially amongst the young, I think they're not stronger. I think they're weaker at this point and, um, and they're more pliable and easy to manipulate. He lets you live through this when so many other people did not. And that is also your responsibility. How about that burden? How about that burden? You, he let you live while other people did not. She didn't say he didn't. He did not. He said just other people did not, I think. How did she say that? He lets you live through this when so many other people did not. All right. He let you live while so many other people did not. So he let you live, but he didn't kill those other people, but he let you live. That's like kind of a guilt. That's a heavy burden. That's a bit of a burden. Let's just keep going. This is this is kind of penny ante stuff here. And that is also your responsibility. But how do we keep more people alive? We are not through this pandemic. I wished we were, but I prayed a lot to God during this time. And you know what? God did answer our prayers. I want to pause right there for a moment. I thought this was very interesting. She said, I prayed to God a lot during this. And what I expected to hear from her, and you know what? I was like, you got an answer? You know, I prayed a lot through this. And she says, and you know what? He did answer our prayers. She doesn't say that she heard from him. I find that very interesting. And I do believe that she's a professing Christian. Now, what that means, it could mean anything. But I, I think Ho Hochul all along has said, yeah, she's a Christian. I think maybe Catholic. So forgive me if uh, I think she maybe grew up Catholic. Not sure what she is now. But she said, I prayed a lot and I expected her to say, and he answered my prayer. And let me tell you what he said to me. You often hear that from someone like, oh, I, I was going through such a tough time. And I'm sure her as the lieutenant governor, she felt the stress of this. She was maybe in some of the meetings. I don't know if Cuomo would let her in. Um, I don't know if she was hot enough for him, but uh, <laughs> sorry, I just had to go there. But I'm sure she felt this. It's not like she's over on a beach somewhere going, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Andrew's got it covered. I, another, uh, I need another, uh, another, uh, oh shoot. I can't even think of a, of a fizzy drink right now. Uh, an Aperol spritz, please. Yeah, sorry. I was just trying to think of an umbrella drink. Anyway, I think that she felt the stress. This. So clearly she's probably stressed out. Hopefully she was praying and I was expecting her to say, I was praying, I was praying. And you know what I heard? You know what God told me? Doesn't say that. Very interesting. It's what he said to us. He answered our prayer. Time. And you know what? God did answer our prayers. He made the smartest men and women, the scientists, the doctors, the researchers. He made them come up with a vaccine. That is from God to us. And we must 
Say thank you, God. Thank so that's her, that's her logic thread. You know, I was praying. I, I think that doesn't mean it's all about, she's not trying to take credit. I was praying and God did answer our prayers. Clearly we're all praying. He made the smartest people in the world and those people created the vaccine. That's God's gift to us. And we need to say, thank you, God. That's how she connects God to the vaccine. He made the people. And these are like really special people. And these special people are a gift from God to us. And, and now they created something. So really God created because he made them and then they made that. Okay. Thank you. And I wear my vaccinated necklace all the oh, time. Oh, the say, necklace. I'm vaccinated. All of you. Sounds like a cult. Yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart one. Yep, you here in the church. Who aren't listening to God and what God wants. Sorry, I'm talking or I'm stepping on this thing. You in the church are the smart ones. If you're here listening to me, you're one of the smart ones. You're one of the smart ones, but you know what? There's some out there. And by smart, that means you got vaccinated. Everybody in here has got to be vaccinated. I'm sure this church, I mean, I'm inferring now, this church is probably one of these deals like you can't come in unless you've got the vax because it's the institution and intellectualism. You can't be orthodox unless you get that juice from the government. Yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones. But you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know this. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. I need you to go out and talk about it and say, we owe this to each other. We love each Okay. Now, this is the crux of what I want to get at here. Now, you could listen to this and say, hey, is you know, this is a little scary because it's almost like coded message. And I'm not going to go there, but you could do this. She's talking about, you know, so you got the vaccine, you're the smart ones, but there are people out there not listening to God. You know who they are, she says. Very kind of like, whoa, a little, a little ominous. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles and go out there and talk to them and try to get them. Now you could say, well, this is like a coded message. Like, you know who the bad guys are. Talk is just, uh, you know, it's brown shirts. Let's find those people and, and, and make them pay. I, I don't think that's the underlying message here. To kind of unpack what Hochul's talking about, I want to take a little bit of a diversion and talk about the philosopher Hegel. You guys familiar with Hegel? You probably heard of the Hegelian dialectic. Uh, he's well known for it. It really informed a lot of uh, it informed a lot of Marx's theory uh, that developed, obviously, into communism, socialism and communism. But, you know, Hegel uh, was alive during the French Revolution and, and during Napoleon's time. Uh, he was around in the 17, late 1700s, uh, early 1800s. He was influenced by different thinkers. But, you know, Hegel came up with this thing of the Hegelian dialectic. And the idea behind this is that you need opposing forces, opposing ideas, the dialectic, the die being two. So if a dialogue, it's two people talking, a monologue would be one person talking. You know, so a teacher in front of a room typically is delivering a monologue. There's, I'm delivering a monologue right now. If I had a couple people in here, we'd be having some type of dialogue, meaning information back and forth. And so Hegel's dialectic believes that, and, and Marx kind of took this and, and turned it into this Marxist theory, that you have to have these two different ideas almost clashing with each other. They come into contact with each other, and through the clashing of these ideas or forces or groups or ideologies or 
you know, societies, cultural values or whatever, when these things clash, out of that clash comes a synthesis, something new, something better. And so the dialectic, the idea is you want this conflict. Now, it could just be ideological conflict. It could be debate. It could be the ideas, you know, people arguing ideas back and forth. Hegel was not at the time that I'm aware of, and, I, and I'm not a Hegelian scholar by any means, but he, he wasn't advocating for violence. I don't think Hegel was advocating for war. Now, he was a big fan of Napoleon. Uh, you know, he, he had some interesting political views, and I want to get to that in just a moment. But Hegel's dialectic was then taken by Marx and turned into this concept, the dialectical nature of the communist movement, where it was like, look, you have to have class warfare. You have to have the proletariat rise up against the bourgeoisie. There, there, there has to be blood in the streets. There has to be violence. There has to be the ripping down and the destruction. And through this violence between these groups, whatever these groups are, but you've got to pit the groups against each other. Through this violence comes a new state, a new society, something better. So he took this idea from Hegel and applied it to political economy. And this is where you get this idea where you've got this class warfare. That's classic Marxism, class warfare. And when you can stoke up that hatred between the classes and when you can, when you can light the fires and, and touch off the, the, the grenades, if, the cannons, if you will, of war between the classes, then in Marx's mind, informed by Hegel, something better comes out. There's a synthesis, something new evolves out of this conflict. This is why you hear people talking about cultural Marxism right now. This idea that, well, white people versus black people, gay people versus straight people, you know, women versus men. And we're just, we're just fracturing our society into all these identities, this identity politics, this cultural Marxism. Yes, we're even looking and experiencing a bit of economic warfare between the haves and the have-nots. There's the, you know, the 1%. There's the people that are benefiting from white, uh, the white systemic racism. And just, it goes on and on and on. And so we are sitting now in a society that is gripped by ideas that were formed by Hegel back in the 1700s. This idea of the dialectic. We're gripped by these ideas of warfare and violence, intellectual violence, physical violence, economic violence, political violence between all these groups with the idea that something new will emerge out of this violent interaction between sides. That's Hegel. Hegel gives us the Hegelian dialectic. There's something very interesting, though, about Hegel that a lot of people don't know. So what people do know is that he was very big on the dialectic and that Marx took the dialectic and turned that into Marxist theory, a.k.a. communism, so on and so forth, as I tried to articulate just a moment ago. But what's very interesting here is that Hegel goes on and talks about the state as being the manifestation of the divine, Hegel's very big on, on the state. He's not interested in the individual. He, he, he was at one point kind of a fan of the French Revolution that was very big on the freedom of the individual, etc. But he quickly kind of shifted gears. He became disenchanted uh, with that, the French Revolution. And he started to look at society not so much as 
unimportant individuals, but as a collective. Society is a collective, the people. Society is a collective. And that the state was the manifestation of God on earth. That the state is the, in, is the manifestation of God on earth. Hegel was very big on this concept. He, he, he looked at the will of the state as, as, the, as the will of God on earth. That the, as the state became more powerful and the state became more involved, totalitarian, involved in every aspect of the human life, that the state was becoming more and more a manifestation of the divine. Not just a manifestation of God's will, meaning God's up in heaven and the state kind of does his will, but over time the state becomes the divine on earth. It is a manifestation of God on earth. Now Christianity teaches that Christ was the incarnation, meaning he became flesh, he became a human being here on earth, that Christ is the manifestation of God on earth. But Hegel has taken this into a different realm where he's saying the state, the secular state, not a Christian government. He's not talking about a, a religious government. He's just saying the secular state is the manifestation of the divine. That the government is God, essentially. I'm just going to read you a little quote. Thus, the modern state proving the reality of political community when comprehended philosophically could therefore be seen as the highest articulation of spirit, capitalized spirit, or God in the contemporary world. The state then is a supreme manifestation of the activity of God in the world, and the state stands above all. It is spirit, which knows itself as the universal essence and reality. He also said the state is the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And finally, the state is God's will. In other places, he just talks about the state being divine. So you've got this Hegelian concept. Now, Hegel heavily informed Marx. Hegel heavily informs progressivism. He heavily informs postmodernism as well. Hegel is one of the primary thinkers of a lot of the things that we're experiencing right now. And we do see in our culture a massive shift towards state-focused life, totalitarian welfare state. The government is involved in every aspect of our life. doesn't matter what country you're living in. That seems to be the reality for the most part right now. And many people are turning to the state saying, we want this from you. Hegel, having heavily influenced Marx and the communist vision for the world is that all the world is under a socialist one world government. The natural out, you know, I say outpouring, the natural outcome of Hegel's vision would be that there would be a one world government. Kierkegaard was a fan of the concept of the one world government. Uh, but the idea being, you, you know, you can't have the state as, as God's will on earth if the state's just in some, if it's in Honduras or if it's in, you know, Canada. You need that state to manifest itself globally for it to truly be the, the manifestation of God and God's will and spirit in the contemporary world and across the globe, a su supreme manifestation. So, so this is this concept that, that Hegel put forth and that, Marxists and progressives have embraced. And then we jump back to Governor Hochul and we listen to what she says and you start to realize that, that there's a connection there. Even if she doesn't realize that the truth wants to come out, this isn't that 
you know, I'm not accusing Governor Hochul of being some secret, secret, you know, Illuminati Marxist, and she's using code words. But I think that she is immersed. I think she's saturated, marinated in this stuff. She's a Democrat. She's a progressive. They've been living this to such a point that they don't even know what they believe. They don't even know why they believe what they believe anymore. They just think it's the truth. And I think they conflate. I think the interchange, it's like God's useful to me right now. I'm the state. And I don't mean just the governor of the state of New York. I'm talking about the government. Uh, This is God's will. I think this is how she can make the connection between the vaccine is God's will. Right now, we have the government telling us that we have to get the vaccine. This is happening all over the world. In Australia, you send your kid to school, they're taking your kid by a bus to a football, soccer, rugby stadium to get them vaxxed in these vax clinics. And you can't do anything about it because the state deems that everyone has to have this. They're saying if you don't get the vax, you can't get health care in America, in Australia, in New Zealand. There, the state is insisting on you taking this thing. That is the will of the state. That's what the state wants. But let's listen again to Governor Hochul real quick. All of you. Yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones. But you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know this. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. They're not listening to what God wants. Well, what God are we talking about here, Governor Hochul? Are we talking about the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Yahweh, Ancient of Days? Are we talking about the God of Adam, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Noah, of Enoch, of Methuselah, of David? Are we talking about the God of Paul and Peter the Apostles? Are we talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God made flesh. What God are we talking about? Are we talking about Hegel's state? Are we talking about the will of the state, the state being the divine manifestation of God's will on earth? Because I'm confused here because what I'm hearing from you, Governor Hochul, and your people and your compatriots and your ilk and your party is that the government wants me to get the vaccine and the government is God. The government will dictate to me what is truth. The government will dictate to me what is good. The government will tell me what is bad. It will not allow me to, it, to engage in behaviors that it deems wrong. It will let me know what I can do, when I can do it, and how I can do it. It will let me know what I can say and what I cannot say. It will let me know in partnership with its giant corporations, the media, social media platforms and the news media outlets and the publicly traded companies that employ millions of Americans and other people across the globe. In partnership with them, you will enforce your reality upon me. That does not sound like the God of the Old and the New Testament to me. That does not sound like a God who is willing to take on flesh, die on the cross, even though innocent, pure, and holy for the sins of mankind. No, that sounds like a God that is demanding I bend the knee or else. I'm sorry, Governor Hochul, you may be well-intentioned, but you are deadly wrong. You're deadly wrong. There's an interesting tell here as well. 
And I'm going to back up again. There's an interesting tell, and we'll jump right on it here. I wear my vaccinated necklace all the time to say, I'm vaccinated. Oh, all okay. <laughs> yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart one. Oh, but you know there's smart, people out smart. there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. I just can't stop with that. They're not listening to God and what God wants. Just, just do it. I mean, I've, I've given you the Hegelian kind of concept. They're not listening to the government and what the government wants. You can just, it's, it's interchangeable. And quite frankly, I wouldn't imagine that you'd be a little nervous, like, well, am I blaspheming the Lord if I don't? If she said God, is it okay to say government? I don't think she's talking about the God of the Bible, folks. I don't think she's talking about the real God. She's talking about a false idol. She's talking about the secular state. That's all she knows. Yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones. But you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know this. You know who they are. Whoa. I need you to be my apostles. Right there. I need you to be my apostles. And this is a classic case of the truth wants to get out. Credit to Adam Curry over at the best podcast in the universe, The No Agenda Show. And Adam Curry of former MTV fame back in the day, he and John C. Dvorak have this fantastic podcast. But you know, whenever there's this kind of slip or something somebody says that they didn't mean to say, Adam always says, see, the truth wants to come out. And I do think that Adam is right. The truth wants to come out. When she says, I need you to be my apostles. So on one hand, she's telling us that the vaccine is from God and that it's God's will that everyone get the vaccine. So typically, if this is a God thing, then I need you to be God's apostles. But this is the mistake that she makes because she's not talking about the God that you and I know. Even if you're an atheist, you know the God that I'm talking about. You know about the God of the Bible. You know about the God of the Jews. You know about the God of the Christians. You know, you may not know all the attributes. You may not believe in that God. You may not want to follow that God. You may want to deny his existence or reality. But you know which one I'm talking about. I don't think she's talking about that God. And I think she makes a little bit of a boo-boo here because she says, I need you to be my apostles. Well, who is she? She's the state. She is the state. She's the physical manifestation of the apparatus of the state. She's the governor of New York State. The only next level of executive power in America is president. I mean, yeah, she can get involved in Congress and the Senate and all that, but I'm saying she's governing. She's an executive of one of the biggest and most powerful states in the union. New York and California, where else you going? I mean, I know you got Illinois, you got a couple others in there, but I mean, New York and California, that's it, boom. She's the executive running that state. She is the state. She is God. She is the manifestation of deity on the earth, according to Hegel's logic, and the Democrats, and the progressives, and the Marxists. The leftists, this is the leftist thinking, folks. They think of the state as the manifestation of the divine. The state will is divine. It cannot be denied. It cannot be opposed. It cannot be thwarted. This is the march of history. It is moving forward, and the state will be victorious. That's, that's the progressive vision. Boy, do I have some news for them. <laughs> oh. So when she says, I need you to be my apostles, in the, and for those of you that are not versed in this kind of stuff, any apostle in the, in the scripture, in Bible times, whatever, 
They were God's apostles. They were his emissaries. They were his sent ones. That's what apostle means, a sent one. They were his ambassadors. They weren't some pope's apostle. They weren't some bishop's apostle. They weren't being sent by some governor. They were apostles. That's why Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am a sent one of Jesus, the son of God. The Christ, the Messiah. So when she sits there and says, God wants you to get the vaccine, you're the smart ones. You listen to God. There are other people out there that are not listening to God and you know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. This is just the truth wanting to get out. That's all this is. And she doesn't know any better. I don't think that Kathleen Hochul is any rocket scientist. I'm not calling her stupid, but I, I look, I think she's a mediocre politician who was riding the coattails of a bully who wanted a mediocre politician. It's the same thing we got in the presidency right now. Do you think Obama picked Joe Biden because he was such a hitter? Do you think Obama's like, I need Joe Biden because that guy can get stuff done? No. He picked Biden because he was a joke. It was a harmless Uncle Joe. The guy was a, a buffoon. But he was a mature white guy with white hair that had been in Washington, D.C. for a long time. Obama was a relative outsider. He was a, he was a Marxist. He was a leftist. He was a community organizer. This guy was not like, Obama was not part of the machine. He got, he got introduced in. I'm not saying he was an outsider like Trump, but I mean, this, he was not part of the establishment. He was a fresh young kid, you know, relatively speaking. And so they needed some old white guy to anchor him down because, you know, you don't want their people in the Democrat Party pretty racist. I don't think it was the Republicans they were worried about. They put Joe in there because they're worried about their own party. Some young black guy with the Muslim name. Hell no, brother. So get old Joe in here. Joe's harmless. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't govern himself out of a wet paper bag. That's why Obama picked him. And we're stuck with him. Biden rode Obama's coattails into the presidency, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Do you think that the country would have voted for Biden against Trump if Biden didn't spend some time in the Obama administration as the vice president? He did do two, two tours of dirty, duty as the v, two tours of dirty. There's the truth wanting to get out, kids. Two tours of dirt, du, bleh, duty as the VP. Nobody would have voted for him. He was disgraced before when he ran for president. He had to drop out because he was a plagiarist. He was able to overcome all that stuff. Because he'd been in the Obama White House for eight years. That's Kathleen Hochul. She's mediocre. I don't think this woman's a rocket scientist. Is she a nice human being? She probably is. Is she a good lady? I, I guess so. I mean, I don't understand how you can be a Democrat and be moral. I don't know how you can be a Democrat and be holy. Now, if you're listening to me and you're a Democrat and you're offended by that, I'm just saying, look at your party's policies. And you go, yeah, but look at the Republican. Yeah, but, yeah, but... Okay, point at somebody else. I'm just saying, look at your party's policies. You're, you're advocating for killing babies in the womb. You're advocating f for stripping people of private property. You're advocating for destroying eons of marriage that are found instituted in scripture. Yeah, but you know, you can, if you look at scripture, it's like you can dance all kinds of doctrine out of the Bible if you, if you work hard enough at it. But a, but a straightforward reading of scripture in context, you look at the whole of scripture, you look at history, you look at tradition for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You, I, I don't know how you get there. 
You look at your party, it has positioned itself against that which is good and holy. I'm sorry. It's anti-sacred. And I'm not saying that every Republican right-leaning person is sacred, holy, and good. <laughs> oh my goodness, there's some, there's some scary stuff on the right right now. A lot of anti-Semitism. There's some stuff popping up that's just, it's, uh, it's ugly. But when Kathleen Hochul says, I want you to be my apostles, go out and tell people. I'm just saying, I don't think she's smart enough to understand what she's really saying. I don't think she's smart enough to kind of connect the dots and understand what's behind what she's saying. But this is here. It's behind there. The Democrats, the left, the progressives, the Marxists have believed for some time since Hegel, they've liked this idea of the state being God. Now, whether you believe in a transcendent God or not is another question, but I don't think you have to, I think this is Hegel's way of dealing with the transcendent. You know, you had this whole enlightenment where all of a sudden people are like, I don't think I believe in things that are not able to be measured. But what do you do with God? So a guy like Hegel's like, well, hold on a second. What if God were really the state? What if the, what if the divine were manifested in the state? Well, you can measure that. That's physical. That's part of this real world that we live in, supposedly. Kathleen Hochul and all the Democrats are part of this tradition. This is, this is part of their tradition. This is part of their thinking. And when she says, I want you to be my apostle, she's saying, I want you to be an apostle of the state and get out the message of the state. You will be vaccinated or you will be eliminated. It's very simple, my friends. I needed to go out and talk about it and say, we owe this to each other. We love each other. Jesus taught us to love one another. Aww. How do you show that love? You get the chance. You care about each other enough to say, please get vaccinated because I love you. I want you to live. I want our kids to be safe when they're in school. You know, how do you get how do you show that love? Jesus taught us to love. Okay, Kathleen, I'll give you that one. You got me there. You got me on that one. Jesus did teach us to love. What did Jesus do? And what did the early church do to manifest the love of Christ? Christ said that no love. No greater love, rather, does a man have than he lays his life down for his brothers. He doesn't talk about safety. He doesn't talk about making sure that you can live a long life. In fact, he says, if you're to follow me, you will die daily. You'll pick up your cross, cross representing death. You will pick up your cross daily. You will die, the, you, will, you will live through my death. You will die to yourself. Christianity is not about safety. Christianity is not about fulfillment and security and happiness. It's about death. Now, that sounds morbid, but in this world of sin, the only way to escape it is to be willing to die to yourself, to let yourself, the self, die. That doesn't mean that the self becomes wiped out. That doesn't mean that you become some type of mindless zombie or some God zombie that God controls. No. You escape the flawed aspects of yourself, and you become the better, fuller, more pure, holy, good self. A self that is oriented and contextualized with him. It's oriented towards him and contextualized within him. And she's sitting here saying, like, if you're going to show love, Jesus love, you need to get out there and tell everybody, get that vax because I don't want you to get sick and I want you to be safe, stay safe, stay safe. 
Jesus never offered safety. Look what happened to the early Christians. They were martyred. They were burned at the stake. They were beheaded. They were beaten. They were jailed, whipped. They were chased out of their homes. They were imprisoned. They were made sport of in the Colosseums by lions and gladiators. They were the scum of the earth. They were hated and reviled. And yet these people, and this is what's very interesting. You walk into a hospital today, you are walking into the gift that Christianity gave the world. The pagans, the non-Christians would not care for their sick. They'd put them in the streets to die. It was the Christians that said, I'm not afraid of leprosy. I'm not afraid of this plague. I'm not afraid of sickness. I am willing to show physical love and care for this human being. Why? Because this person is made in the image of God. And it is my duty before God to lay my life down for others. This gives us hospitals, people. Christianity has bequeathed a rich cultural societal gift to mankind because it was willing to die, because it was willing to be not safe, because the Christians, the individuals were willing to put their life in jeopardy for the truth, the truth of God, the truth of Christ, and the truth that every human being bears God's image. And because of that, there is something sacred in them. And that if I could show that sacred, that image bearer love and kindness, it's, it's possible that they would turn their hearts to God and repent and become his child. So as Governor Hochul gets up there and talks about God gave us the vaccine and it's his will that everybody gets the vaccine and I need you to be my apostles and stay safe. What you're really hearing is the nanny state, the totalitarian state, the welfare state telling you, we are God, I am God. The state is the divine. And if you want to live on this earth and you want to be safe and you want to be comfortable, then you have to do what we tell you. And there are those out there that are not listening to us. And I need you to tell them, listen to the state. Because if you don't, you won't be safe. That's the true message. The state is divine. The state demands that you accept its miracle that it gave us, the vaccine. And if you don't do it, you're not going to be safe. But what the state doesn't know is it is not divine. It is not all-knowing. It is not omnipotent, omniscient. And the state will not thrive and survive. It will collapse under its own weight because it's living a lie. When you think that you're all that and you're not, you're living a lie. And the truth will prevail. And it will prevail through all kinds of people, not just Christians. There are people that just want the truth. There are elements of life that they don't know or understand, and they're okay with that. There are other elements they are pretty confident, but they know one truth, and that's that they want to be free, that human beings should be free, and that they should be inviolable. The state should not coerce, force anything into someone's body. It's just as simple as that. Why? And I've said this in the last podcast, because we bear God's image. We're image bearers. But you don't have to have that argument to 
understand that that's your body. No one should be able to do anything to it that you don't want them to. It should be that simple. And yet for Kathleen Hochul, it's God's will. You know, and shame on her for using God for the, for the ends of the state. Shame on her for invoking God's name in vain. Thou shall not use the Lord God's name in vain. And yet, this agent of the state gets up there and glibly tells a church audience, one that's dedicated to the cathedral, the institutions, and science, intellectual uh, pursuits. What a surprise that this church would welcome someone of that, with that kind of message. But no surprise that Kathleen would get up and say that the state is the answer, that the state is your God, and that you need to obey. Guys, I hope this has been interesting for you as it has been for me. I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of fascinating ideas. I never thought when I was younger that ideas were such a big deal. That all intellectuals and, you know, all these people, they have their ideas, but they don't really matter. As I got older, I started realizing that, goodness, ideas that people had hundreds of years ago are playing themselves out now. They're affecting things that people thought in the 16 and 1700s are affecting my life and your life right now in very big ways. I would encourage you not to just be an ideologue, but to think about the ideas. Try to understand the ideas behind what's going on. It helps make a lot more sense of the world around us. And it, I think it arms us to think more intelligently, to be able to push back and to inform how we want to live and how we want to behave and how we want to pursue uh, our lives. I want you to be happy. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be free. And as you know, I want you to know him. Uh, guys, if you want to talk, just get in touch. You can get to my website, mikegaston.com. It's M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com. There's a contact form there. There's also a newsletter sign up. Make sure you sign up for that free newsletter. Get all that sweet, good thinking that I put out every once in a blue moon. I don't put out too much, so you'll never get spammed by me. But every once in a while, I'll throw a newsletter out there. And I would love to have you on the list, keep you informed. Uh, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm more there than anyone else. Not that I'm trying to get all kinds of business connections out of this podcast, but if you do want to interact with me on a professional level, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. And uh, in the meantime, I hope that you have a great week. I want you to know that I love each and every one of you. Thank you for your support. And I will catch you all in the next episode. Mm-hmm.